Dave, you've been around a while now, lots of different clients. Hey, hey, hey. What shifts? Hey. <laughs> well, you know, hey, math, math is math, my man. I can't shift that. Welcome to Catalyst, the Launch by NTT Data podcast. Catalyst is an ongoing discussion for digital leaders dissatisfied with the status quo, yet optimistic about what's possible through smart technology and some great people. Today's topic, we're going to dive into the minds and maybe even the hearts of two experienced design leads to chat design led everything. I'm going to be joined in the studio today by Ash Hal. Ash is the experience director at Vectorform, where she develops new strategies and original design solutions and projects, ranging from core digital to immersive experiences over to AI. Her philosophy when approaching a new endeavor is to collaborate to push boundaries while never losing sight of what makes meaningful and incredibly useful design. Then we also have Dave Shell joining us. Dave Shell is Senior Principal, Product and Experience Design at Launch by NTT Data. He's focused on insight-driven creative with extensive experience building brands in the digital space, inform user experiences, digital strategy, and cross-platform storytelling and product experiences. These are two extremely informed and extremely experienced folks. Ash, one more thing about you. You've worked with Adidas. You've worked with Bose. You've worked with Jeep and many, many more. Dave, you're coming in with working with VW, Volkswagen, AT&T, and even Vail Resorts. So I'm extremely happy to have you both doing today. Ash, how are you doing? Happy Friday. How are you doing, Ash? Doing great. Thank you for having me. Dave, how's your Friday, man? My Friday's going well. Awesome. So we're, we're going to be talking about, you know, experience design. Like what does it mean to be design-led? And so, guys, grab a piece of paper, and I'm going to give you five seconds. I want you to write down an answer to this question. When does design begin? Done. All right. Ash, what's your, what's your answer? When does design begin? Early. <laughs> I like Elaborate it. Elaborate on that. It's really... A design should begin at the onset or recognition of any business or customer problem. We have the methods and way of thinking to help solve for those problems. So bring us on early. Yeah. And um, what I've learned in you know, my path into design is, is creative direction initially before I got into to product design. So I'm a natural kind of problem solver. That's what my brain wants to do. I think a lot of designers want to solve problems. But Mm -hmm. uh, what I've learned is that design actually starts with research. So, uh, you know, a while back when I started integrating a bit more with research and then when I was on the client side, I had a a pretty big UX research team. Um, And what that taught me is actually the need to hold off on solutioning um, to understand the problem more. So you know, whether it's foundational, whether it's generative, you know, early, early research stuff too, like, like observational research, like diary studies. Um, I know a lot of people probably don't consider this design, but it is. Um, and involving design with that, you know, designers, again, they want insights. These insights are catalysts to their thinking process. And so, you know, again, like I was mentioning with me, designers are kind of natural problem solvers. So if you pair them with researchers or, or have designers that do research themselves, that early foundational stage, that generative stage, you know, attacking topics or areas that haven't been clearly defined or even explored. To me, that's where design starts. That, you know, to Ash's point, that that's what early means. And it's really early, right? A lot of places say this is product strategy or it's um, maybe CX or it's some other areas. But having design kind of uh, involved in that area, you'd be shocked 
what starts to kind of churn in that area up there. So to me, that's where design starts. Yeah, not to add, I think there's like a misconception about design, right? It is more than department. It is more than moving pixels and making things look pretty. It is a way of thinking about the world and what the world needs or could have. And we have processes and methodologies that help drive value and create solutions for those problems that go beyond the traditional idea or misconception that some may have about design. Yeah. What I'm interested in knowing is, let's say there are people doing that research, that front-end things, and they're not designers, right? They're just researchers. They are gathering. What's going to be left behind there? What's what, what potentially doesn't happen at that really onset versus a designer who's leading a design team doing that research? Are there some deltas yeah. there that you could flag and say, well, you're probably going to miss out on something like this? Thank you. You're, you're making a lot of assumptions about what's ultimately going to drive value. Maybe you might have an understanding of a high-level business objective, or you may have you know, a high-level understanding of what your customers may need. But until you understand the true core and details about around that problem, you can't solve for it properly. And you're ultimately making a lot of assumptions around the end-all product solution. And that's what I see happen pretty often, right? Is that, oh, I know my customer. I know I know what the business needs. Um, here's exactly what we're going to deliver. And you could go on bark on developing your product, reinvesting a significant amount of money, and you go to launch that product and ultimately doesn't hit the mark. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean, and I don't, didn't necessarily mean that designers do the research, right? So sometimes they do, uh, but I, I'm a big believer in the the team model skill set, um, where you build a team of people that go deep in different areas. Um, and so, so yeah. pairing a designer up with somebody who's great at, especially if we're talking like early foundational stuff, like the observational, you know, really early stage stuff. Um, the designer might not be involved all the time, but having them along for the ride is where you start to kind of get triggers. And again, it's it's about informing what we should build and why, as opposed mm-hmm. to like what Ash was talking about. A lot of times people think design comes in after we already know what we should build. I'm saying this starts, you know, kind of early on that front. So, you know, I don't think there's necessarily anything research misses without design necessarily. I think, in fact, uh, you know, I've done it a lot of places where we have either an agency that we've worked with, and I'm speaking from client side a little bit, that provides the research or on, you know, at the company I worked at uh, was an academic company and um, they had, you know, research everywhere, like PhDs and things Mm -hmm. like that. And so there was a lot of research happening in a lot of places, um, but that would always come in the form of like a white paper, right? Which was like, you know, what are you going to do with a white paper after this big study that was done over like six months, nine months, you know, ethnographic research that's done by another group involving design along the way there's just a lot of things design can do right they they can start doing service design um, they can start doing um, some mapping they can kind of start doing a lot of different things but again it's really critical to not jump into solutioning in that point it's really important just that that designer's there kind of along for the ride to listen and think Um, and then that queues up activities that starts to queue up workshops that starts to queue up ideation processes that starts to queue up a lot of things Yeah, it sounds a little bit like the opportunity might be that you're missing the chance to do a few things in parallel. And Mm -hmm. then, like you said, if you're just passing off a white paper, well, then that's got to be digested, understood, and then put into action. So there's probably some time sacrifice there and maybe a bit of the intimacy of what would have been known 
if the designer was a little close to it, uh, you know, uh, fr- from Jump Street or just, you know, really brought yeah. in to start building out those those maps. Yeah. So, you know, one of the terms that's out there a lot is design-led innovation. And I like to define words, uh, especially for the audience, because it can mean different things to different people. Yeah. So, Ash, when you hear and you say to to a client, hey, this will be a design-led uh, uh, project from an innovation perspective, how do you define that? If a client says, what do you mean by that? Well, I think first off, design-led does not mean design only. The best solutions are often a result of really well-rounded teams with different perspectives. And I'll put that out there. And if you look at the word innovation in itself, right? Okay, you have like an invention is theoretical. and innovation is an invention that has been put into practice. And in order for something to be put into practice, it involves a creative, strategic, and technical minds to create true innovation. So if you go back to design-led innovation and what that means to to me and how I've seen it, um, at its core, it's putting the people that you are servicing at the center of product strategy and designers are trained to put people first. So as you look at us and the way we think in terms of putting people first, we truly seek to understand the needs the pain points, the unmet needs of your business, and likewise, the same of your, your customers. And then we solution and ideate and generate um, solutions for those unmet needs and desires. And ultimately, when you are solving for unmet needs and pain points, you get value as an, as an output of what you're innovating. And that creates a competitive advantage and it creates an increase in productivity and profitability. It can do a lot for your business and a lot for the product that you're creating. Ash, it's like you were reading my notes with your first comment. Um, the, the, the first thing I wrote down was that design-led can sometimes sound like it's only design. Um, and so I, I want to double down on what Ash was saying. I'm going to speak a lot from my client-side experience. And we pushed for design-led. Like when I joined, uh, design was deep deep in the product channels. And, and we kept on kind of suggesting design-led. And that really pushed off a lot of folks to Ash's point because they were like, well, what is that design only? Does that mean you own the whole thing? And it, it's not. It means that design is at the table from the get-go, right? And so again, back to the research point, back to some of those other areas. It just means that design is involved to start with. Again, like Ash mentioned, design is not just about appearances. It's about um, being from the beginning. It's it's kind of like, I don't know why, but the A-team is coming to my head. I, I haven't thought of the A-team <laughs> in like forever. Remember how like they all had their own little specialties, right? Um, it, back to the idea of innovation, back to the idea of strategy, back to the idea of, you know, on the client side or, or big companies or big corporations that are putting together their portfolio strategies or their overarching product strategies. It means designs up there with them making decisions, right? That each one of those people, like the A-team, has kind of their skill set and their little thing that they bring to the table to, to think about. And, and design will kind of come there as well, too, from a leadership perspective, with their bag of tricks of, of the different exercises they can do and the contributions they can bring. Um, so to me, design-led merely means that design is there. You know, that's the, the lead part. It's a little confusing, but I think really what it also means is that design is is there to lead with some of the the exercises, some mm-hmm. of the processes, some of the different things that we kind of know and understand and, and bringing it all back to the user, right? And really that's what design-led means to me is that the design leader there is helping the entire group to start uh, with any thinking that they have to be centralized around the user, around the customer. 
So first time that we we actually got the the Catalyst podcast going, Gina and Chris uh, were, were interviewing me and, and introducing me as as a, as a new co-host also. And we were talking about how sometimes design can be cruel if if you don't have the right people at the table. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing from a, another point of view. My point of view was, look, unless you're doing greenfield for the sake of greenfield, that's cool yeah. and it can be valuable. However, if you're doing it within an enterprise and there's a product strategy or you're trying to form a product strategy and you're doing design without the knowledge of the engineers or or the product strategists, it could end up being quite cruel because you might end up in a place you can't actually go execute. Exactly. And like Ash, for you, you said earlier, like theoretical versus getting down to the execution layer. Like, yeah, design could still float around in in theory, but that might not be very purposeful, right? I think it's also worth noting, right, that Design-led innovation is extremely nonlinear, right? You might start off with the strategy, right? But you always have to come back to that initial strategy. And it's, a, it's continuous improvement as well. And design is the cornerstone in that continuous improvement with always validating our initial hypotheses along the way. And then Dave, you know, so we're hearing the terminology more. You've been around a while now, lots of different hey, clients. Hey, hey. What shifts? Hey. <laughs> well, you know, hey, uh, with that, what shifts have you seen in the enterprise around the application or their thinking of design-led approaches? Well, I think the first thing, and this this started happening quite a bit ago, I don't know, maybe maybe 10 years ago, um, you started seeing uh, two things, really. You started seeing design becoming part of a leadership tier um, within the clients. So I'm speaking of what we're seeing from our clients, you know, um, that type of thing. You're starting to see design become more of a decision maker, um, more of a stakeholder, more of a C-level position, right? Or a VP, maybe to start with. It's going to range in companies, but you're starting to see companies say, we're building this executive group, design should be a part of it, right? That's the first thing. But then you're also starting to see the building of design teams and, and all the kind of core expertise within the design teams. I remember, you know, 10 years ago when, well, not even like six, six seven years ago on um, IBM was like on this quest to have the largest design team. I think they had like 300 or 400 and it was being written about in every design, um, you know, magazine and things about how, how big IBM's internal design team was and, and their commitment to design. And of course, then that meant that they also had leadership across their group as well, too. So I think having design in the born room, having design at the C-level, having design be a client and stakeholder for us um, and not just a a CIO or a chief product officer, Mm -hmm. but seeing design not only report into the product function like a CPO, but actually have design be a peer to the CPO. And to me, that's that's what, you know, companies really need to do to to push, for lack of better term, UX maturity. You know, um, there's this Nielsen Norman UX maturity scale or design maturity scale. I forget what they call it, but it has like six or seven different uh, levels to it and companies mapping to that and, and working internally, not just to have somebody at a seat in the table, but also make sure they're, they're practicing what they preach, right? And that maturity scale, it speaks to a lot of interesting things like how many developers do you have per designer within your organization? You know, where is design in the process? So everything we were talking about before with does it start with design or does it start with research or do you do all these exercises and then bring in design? Um, so those are all kind of checks and balances of a maturity scale. And you're starting to see a lot of companies actually invest in that. That's interesting for sure. And the, the maturity part, you have a lot of, uh, at Vectorform, lots of, I would say, modern clientele. And when I say modern, I mean almost like 
hip and like, <laughs> fun, like fun. It's consumer goods, things that, that get physical product, physical digital interfaces, like lots of really, really cool stuff out there. Now, for your client base that you're typically interfacing with, do you tend to see that they are more mature mm-hmm. in their philosophy of design or are they still you know, lagging and that that Delta has to be kind of taught when you start an engagement? There's a broad spectrum. I mean, we work with corporations still, right? But I can tell you, in my experience, there has been a fond appreciation and respect for the most part about embracing design-led processes. That's where I've seen the coolest and most successful products come to fruition is when you, I think the client is even being willing to say, I don't know what this involves or how we can make this possible and leaning on us to consult is where there's a 100% trust and partnership in the process that we see less time dedicated about educating and design and you know how our methodologies bring the best results and more time trusting the process and trusting a design-led process that we see success the most often. Well, it allows you to get, get to that value exactly. faster also, right? I mean, and if you have to spend whatever that time is, a week, two weeks, a month selling your case, convincing, well, then that's a week, two weeks, a month that you're not producing something that shows the efficacy. Exactly. So from your perspective, what do you think is one thing that clients still have a big misconception about when it comes to design-led innovation? So Dave, why, why don't you take it first? Well, I guess they they might not call it design-led, right? Mm-hmm. They might operate in a model where the product leadership dictates what they think they should build, for example, right? They're not starting with the voice of the customer, which is is critical, right? Uh, I used to have a slide on the client side that said, we are not the user. And a lot of the presentations I would have, I would say that. And, it, and, and the reason being is because at the company I worked at, they had um, a lot of instructors that came over to run products. So they were instructors at universities and uh, maybe wrote a book, um, were amazing, came over. And so when it came to our design team working on, let's say, a new product for instructors, um, they would say, oh, well, we don't need to meet with instructors. I can I can talk about what they need, what they're going to mm. do. And so it, it took a lot of convincing to say, no, we need to, to build a, a group of people that we work with that can speak to this, that are currently instructors, um, for example. So, you know, I think organizations still think of design as, as appearance. And back to your point about, you know, Ash and, and the clientele that they work with and, and whatnot as well, too, and, and my history with brands, sometimes the flashier brands aren't as mature from a design perspective, um, right? Because they do still see design as as flashy, as kind of those final mm-hmm. stages. So maybe also misunderstanding what design-led means um, when it comes down to it and still thinking appearance is really, you know, that thing. So, you know, quick take there. Yeah. Yeah, I dig it. And Ash, same question to you. So, uh, you know, what, what's been your experience? I don't know if it's even a misconception. I just, um, to Dave's point, it's, it's fundamentally, holistically not understood. So you might hear like the term design thinking, right? Get thrown a lot when it comes to design, anything design-led, right? right. And in their mind, that might be, you know, let's just all get in a room together and let's let's workshop the solution. And it's not a one-stop, one-size-fits-all solution or approach Every business or product or solution, um, yes, design has got, we have our best practices, methodologies, and approaches, but we curate 
the best path forward, leveraging those methodologies and the right skill sets to meet our customer where they're at, and then ultimately propose a solution for them that suits the need or the pain point that they may be facing. It is not a one size fits all. It's not a one one approach meets everyone. It is 100% customized, leveraging what we know and our, our best practices. And it is, to Dave's point, it is not just moving pixels for design-led. It is, it is a way of thinking. A lot of companies are very early on in understanding what design-led means. I think they don't build enough customer involvement in their process and into their product lifecycle. You know, uh, maybe they do usability testing, you know, things like that that are a bit later stage. You know, are we getting it right? Can they complete a task? But there are so many ways in which you can involve the customer from the very beginning, right? Interviews, like I said, diary studies, things like that. Empathy mapping, um, journey mapping sessions where you actually bring in the customer to do it with you, for example. Um, And then, you know, co-design sessions. Like those are really fun things to do where you're actually um, designing a product with customers, whether you're designing something and quickly bringing it to them to get their feedback or not. So I think, you know, again, back to design-led, it's not just about the design leader or design in the process. It's also about the involvement of the customer, of the user. And I think you can kind of involve them throughout the entire product lifecycle. So so not getting that right. Yeah. So I think we're start, starting to dip our toes here into, you know, tactics and practices too, Ash. So I'll paint a scenario and I'd love for you to, to tell the audience, okay, given the parameters that, that are loose, you know, mm-hmm. but where would you start? You know, a customer says this to you, what are you going to suggest that they go do from a tactic or practice perspective? And I'd really like you to land also so folks can understand what's the benefit of what you're proposing. So let's say for you, Vectorform is is a Detroit-based, lots of automotive industry clients. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe you have a a new, let's say net new automotive company that's working with you and they want a brand new heads up display, something in the interface inside the car. Maybe they provide a couple of must-haves and they say, look, we want you to help us create it and design it. We don't know all that what we want. Mm -hmm. We just know we want to innovate in in that particular space. Where do you help them to begin? Like what's your first move with a team like that? The technical thing. So heads up display is a very specific part of the in-vehicle experience. Let's talk like maybe comprehensive HMI, just so we can broaden our scope here a little bit, if that's okay. I would say first move is always understand current state. And that's really important because again, I brought it up earlier. It's like, we want to meet you where you're at and we want to help navigate the right path forward. So that might be facilitating discussions to understand what's been developed. What is their competitive landscape? What are their business objectives? um, Who's their target market? Um, have they conducted research? What are the customers looking for? It's going back to their needs and desires, right? Uh, what technology will enable this? And then considering all of that, what gaps do they have that we need to solve for to pave the direction forward in our in our first strategy? So it's all about initially creating consensus and alignment for where the core opportunities are. So Ultimately, once we understand where the market may be going, what the customers may be needing, um, what their business objectives are, it's a matter of ideating a cohesive solution, right, from that collective, and then prioritizing and setting a path forward to say, okay, this is what you're, this is what we must have developed towards, in short. And that's all theoretical. And obviously, we have that first initial 
Sure. I think the fascinating part of the answer is at no point did you say push pixels. No. You know, like it was all the things you started out with earlier that are like, hey, these are, this is a heavy set user and technology research of understanding what is actually possible. I always think the people like toss around the art of the possible and then they jump to the, well, just go design an interface and that's the art of the possible. And I'm like, no, like that that might be the art of the impossible because you didn't do the lift to understand what actually could could be given the parameters. Exactly. And add on to like in his initial ask of the questions, what was the value that's ultimately delivered by doing that, right? It's, we are creating a path forward that's ultimately going to be competitively advantageous. It's going to be something that your customers want to use. It's different in the market. And ultimately, we can pull it off. Yeah, That's the big value driver, right? And so often in organizations across different startup automotive companies, and we worked with you know, the big three here in Detroit. And so often, I think it's a common core thing that just your your business is ultimately not always aligned on a shared vision on how you go forward in developing the right customer experience and developing that strategy together creates that alignment as well. Really thoughtful stuff. And and Dave, I want to give you a scenario, but a different one, but same exercise. So let's say a client comes to you and says, Hey, we have a good idea. You know, we have a what we believe is a concept or an idea that has some legs. So we kind of know what we want to go do. However, they really have no idea how how they would take it and accelerate it through the next stages. So a little bit further down the path from the scenario that I I provided, Ash, what do you do in that scenario? And then how is design, design design-led again, applied there? And how is that maybe a little bit different from the scenario that I gave Ash? Well, I think... I think it's a little bit the same, but also a little bit different. And I'm going to just kind of switch gears and, and put back on my solution guy hat, right? Um, because I think I've been pushing hard, kind of the early stage research-driven, um, obviously critical side of things. But I think for this type of scenario, this is where the, the solutioning side of design can kind of come into play pretty heavy. And obviously, we need to understand what we're dealing with first. So we need research. But I, I guess to say it simply, design can run a expedited process where we can do the research and quickly that Ash was mentioning, right? Understand the audience, um, understand the space, understand the, the flow. Maybe their new idea is replacing a process that already exists, right? That's outdated. Let's understand that. Um, but let's do all that in like a week. Let's do all that in a week or two um, so that we can really understand what that is, but then quickly switch gears into solutioning. Um, so again, make sure we get what we need, but start to throw ideas on the table and know that we're not solving things for good, right? That we're taking an idea, like you said, or maybe it's a big product and they have a new feature or an enhancement to that product. Design can fast forward to the future and show you what's that going to look like. Again, maybe it's a new mobile app or a new um, product for a company that is new to the marketplace. It's critical that you use design to kind of fast forward uh, not necessarily push pixels, but wireframes, whatever that might be to start to envision it. Uh, you know, it could be paper sketches. It could be uh, paper-based prototypes and get them in front of your customers or the customer that you have there to get a reaction. So you can you can use design to kind of bypass the build stage to go directly to the learn stage to say, is this going to be right? Are our customers going to receive this? Will they use this? And you do interviews with customers not to look at like the usability or things like that. That doesn't matter. Again, we're going to go through a, a full design phase later. This is about saying, 
this is the gist of what this new product idea is or this new feature enhancement. Would you use this? Um, and customers would say, I would, except for I don't like that or I need this in order to be able to use this correctly. So we can make those tweaks. We can get it back in front of them. But then we have like a package of research. We have a package of non-code-based prototypes. Or you can, you know, again, if it does involve some data that's really critical to it, we can do a code-based prototype as well, too, with with our engineers. But uh, the beauty of design with a new idea is that we can kind of fast forward. And what's also cool about that is it's a catalyst to the entire process so that even though it's a, a first stage just to see if this idea is viable or not and to get the validation from the customer that it is, it's also, you know, let's say it's a green light. Customers say, this this is great. I would use this tomorrow if you launch this. It's a catalyst to the process, to the team, to everybody that we already have something kind of on the ground to look at and work from and then go back to what is, you know, a typical product process. That momentum piece, that catalyst within the organization. Again, I, I always find it funny when people, people profess that they want to be, quote unquote, just like a startup. We want to act just like a startup. <laughs> and I always question that. I go, really? really? Yeah. I mean, are you, sh- are you sure about that? In the sense that, number one, it's probably not your reality if you work inside a large corporation. Mm-hmm. It's just not. And you could still do things, like Dave, you were just laying out, that provide for the velocity that a startup might seek, right? To really condense some some exercises towards the front to do validation in ways that gives you that kind of velocity. However, I think inside a big organization, you have to look at momentum. If it's two people sitting in a garage, you get a prototype, you push it, right? What do we got to lose? Like, let, let's go. Inside a, a larger mechanism, if you will, organism like, like a corporation, whether you like it or not, You've got to build momentum and stage gate in some ways. So the things you were describing there, Dave, I think really the catalyst and you get to outcomes early that I think can do a lot of psychological things. A, get people around it visually, get them excited. And if you're a product owner, likely the benefit being, hey, you could go get your funding. Go get that yes, go get that green light, get the support that you're going to need to take that to MVP fully and then, and then over to market, hopefully for yourself and for your users. I was going to ask you guys for like one project you love, one project you hated. You know, why don't we just keep it on the love side? Let's just keep it fun. Whether it was the client, the work itself, the environment, the outcome, something you're super proud of, okay. dealer's choice, Ash, what's a product you would anchor on and, and tell a story about? I have a lot. We mentioned a couple earlier in the introduction, right? I've got an opportunity with legs of Bose and... Jeep has been a long-standing customer um, we've partnered with building a badge of honor program. I honestly, I have a lot. We've had opportunity to build really cool things throughout my career at Vectorform. And I honestly, I cannot think of the one, but it is the ones that are the coolest and have been the most exciting are the ones that are not afraid to take risks. Um, when it comes to innovation, um, I think that's a big one, especially if you look at large enterprises, right? There's there's new layers of red tape in large enterprises, yeah. right? And we look at like we built a completely bespoke solution, voice solution ground up for Mitsubishi Power that enables having a conversation with a power plant. Because we had buy-in at the top level, their CEO had a a vision of the power plant of the future would be voice enabled. And because it came from him, 
it empowered everyone that was going to be working on the solution to cut through that red tape and create a Alexa-like experience for the power plan. Just creates new ways of operating, not only for their their customers, but also internally. It, it is one of the coolest things I've ever had the opportunity of working on because it is, is truly one of its kind. But I'll say when you have the investment at the highest level to push through, that's when it's no holds bar and you just, you make the coolest things. And the part there too is like, it's one part to have a bold CEO, I think in that case, for Mitsubishi Power that provides the vision. Mm -hmm. It's saying, we're going here. This is what it looks like. I could paint a picture of it. We could all see it, but we don't yet know how we're going to get there. But being bold enough to still take that leap. And I think then the work, Ash, that you're describing and that we've been talking about with Dave here too is when we accelerate through design-led, it brings gravity to mm-hmm. that idea really, really quickly when people can start to see it and feel it and be like, oh man, I thought it was nuts. Yeah, there were yeah. people probably like, yeah, cool concept and all, but it's never going to happen. It's yeah. never going to happen. And then you start to show early with early acceleration. And, and, and again, yes, things take their time. It's, this is not like, oh, rush, 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 mm-hmm. not at all. The things will take their proper time. Yet there's a way to be effective in the front end through design-led that accelerates it and gets it to these these stages that just provide a lot more output early, that just provide that momentum. So I'm sure when when this was uh, early stage with Mitsubishi, I'm sure the people really appreciated getting to a certain uh, oh, yeah. checkpoint, if you yeah, will. There's definitely iteration and prototyping involved with that, and but we did. We had. Um, investment at the highest level though throughout the course of the project and that is not that is just the case for Mitsubishi but when we have that investment collectively um that is when you you truly are just like you're on a in a power freight train right you can just pave through and create and that's when change ultimately happens and it's exciting to work on projects like that yeah for sure dave i want to hear from you give me a story that warms the heart also for you man well, I'm going to get a bit cheesy, I guess, for, for a second. I mean, I agree with Ash. It's kind of hard to pinpoint one. I tend to look at the people I work with and the clients and, and the experience around on the things. So I guess I'm going to mention one that's maybe a, a love and hate. I know you said love only, but I'm going to break the rules because <laughs> it was it was a bit of a love and hate thing. But, you know, I guess I, I'll go a different angle and, and growing and maturing a design practice uh, within a you know, culture and company of a 200 year old publishing company like I did. Um, it was a six year, well, four to six year effort. So it wasn't like a project or a thing like that, which I've done tons of. It was more about enabling projects and enabling teams, watching and building a design team from the depths of, of the company to ultimately reporting to the to the president of the company and, and having design actively contributing to the board. You know, it's like raising kids. It was like one of those things where you took the blows, but you also had the the successes. And so that's why, like for a lot of our customers, I, I really want to learn about where they are in their design process and their design culture and their design, because it was really neat to see us grow. And it was also really neat to have, you know, if you'd look at it like a project, we had a little over a hundred people contributing to that from a design perspective, from research, from content strategy, from uh, design systems, from design operations. And everybody kind of took it on their shoulders. And it was really neat to, to, you know, to kind of say, we know we're not there yet. We know we're going to struggle with the engineering team. We know we're going to struggle with maybe a, a product leader making a decision that goes against some of our research. 
we know we're going to have setbacks, um, but we're all in for maturing this thing. And it was neat. It was the lowest, you know, rate of attrition I've ever had. It was one of those things where we all kind of celebrated successes together. But again, we also saw the output. So back to, to Ash's point, this isn't just about building culture or building um, those things, which, which it was. It was also about setting up teams for success, innovating, pushing the, the portfolio strategy, just a variety of other things. But to me, again, it was a love-hate. It was one of those things that you kind of had to take the hits while, while you celebrated successes. Yeah, and I think you might have sparked another follow-up uh, episode we could canvas when it is design versus engineering, when, when you're getting the pushback and you have to compromise and you have to both make your arguments for maybe what you want or, or within the realm of possibility. And if this is not a good cop, bad cop. Oh, design's good and engineering's bad. It's not that. It's more effective when everybody's pushing for innovation and yet mm-hmm. there are legitimate guardrails that will come up. And then how do you negotiate and how do you push forward despite those guardrails to mm-hmm. still get to that experience that you know is is a phenomenal one. So I think I think maybe we'll do a part two at some point. And with that, I want to say a huge thanks to both Ash Howell of Vectorform and Dave Schell of Launched by NTT Data. We appreciate you both for sharing your time with us and, and your expertise. And that's because in this studio, we believe in shipping software over slideware that fast will follow smooth and aiming to create digital experiences that move millions is a very worthy pursuit. Join us next time as the pursuit continues on Catalyst, the launch by NTT Data Podcast. Thanks. Thanks.